Welcome to Generation Tech, the show where we talk tech across two generations. We've got the history of two of us here. Uh, I'm Todd Brinker. I'm joined, as always, with by, by my dad, Jack. How are you doing today, Dad? Doing good, Todd. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Happy Monday to you. So as we record today, it is the 28th of Monday, March 2022. Boy, that sounds like sometime way off in, in time, right? Way, way off in the future. 2022. So, <laughs> speaking of the future, the uh, the United States is planning to go back to the moon, and they're going to do it in their their SLS rocket. SLS stands for um, uh, what is it? Space Launch System. And yep. the the SLS the the Artemis One capsule sits above the SLS rocket, and uh, they've rolled the first version of it out to the launch pads for pre-launch testing. Now, I'm not quite sure when they're planning to actually make the first launch and test test launch of this rocket. But just for comparison, um, it stands about 41 feet shorter than the Saturn V rocket, which is the rocket that took astronauts to the moon back in the 60s and 70s, right? Uh, yeah. But by comparison, it creates uh, over a million pounds more uh, thrust than the Saturn V did. And while this initial stage will only lift only 30 tons of stuff up to the moon, has capable of taking 30 tons to the moon, there's a second version that will actually stand slightly taller than the original Saturn V and will take up to 50 tons of stuff to the moon. So, um, yeah. The, well, as, you can, as you can see, the uh, rocket technology has advanced. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you look at it, you say physically it looks like it's, you know, roughly the same size. I mean, give or take, but it's it's, you know, 50, uh, a million pounds more thrust and 50 tons of stuff. I guess the uh, the Saturn V was a little more than the 30 tons that this initial block one version will would could lift, uh, even though it had less thrust. But uh, but this second one will have an additional upper stage. Uh, and a larger area for payloads. And so, uh, yeah, impressive, really impressive. Yep. Well, what we really have, and, and we've always recognized it, is not much difference between a rocket and a bomb. The only difference is the ability to control the rocket as it, as it explodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a... It's a, a controlled explosion, right? As it comes out the back end. Yeah, we, we 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 direct direct the force of the uh, effluent so that uh, it yeah. gives us some boost. And uh, yeah, rock, rocketry is an interesting thing. Remember when, uh, as a kid, we used to buy the Estes rocket? Uh, yeah, and we'd make build those. And make those. We even made one of our own, um, uh, not following any kit at all, but it turned out to be a bit heavy. <laughs> we yeah. put a lot of rockets in it, but we made a big one. Uh, by Big by Estes rocket standards. I think it was about two and a half feet tall. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we managed it, yeah. So the, this one, the main the main engines run off liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. Super cool liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. They use 730 gallons. That's 3.3 million liters of this stuff. Um and uh, then they have these boosters that attach to the side of it, a la the boosters that were on the um, space shuttle. 
and the boosters are 17 stories high and add 3.6 million pounds of thrust, and they burn a solid rocket fuel called polybutadine acrylonitrile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, they burn six tons of it every second. Yep. So, yeah, it's um, no small endeavor, that's for sure. Well, the interesting thing is, is that uh, uh, solid rockets are what we we used to play with was just little solid. Uh, yeah, the Estes, motors, that, Estes rockets, which are still available. You can go buy a kit and build an Estes rocket, and yeah. you use a small battery to ignite the uh, the the rocket engine. You buy the little engines and their little cardboard tubes that have a little bit of solid rocket fuel of some sort in there and a ceramic nozzle, basically, to shoot it out. Yeah, and a little hot wire that you stuck into the right. motor and uh, bend out and bring the leads out and be sure you don't touch them together until you have a few, few feet distance away Yeah, for safety. Anyway, the, the interesting thing with the, with the uh, toy rockets was... How do you bring them back? Yeah. Because you could reuse the rocket. Oftentimes, yeah. it, as it fell to earth, it wasn't like a metal one that would break all to pieces. Right. Yeah. talking about paper yeah, you, mostly. You slide out the little uh, cardboard engine module and plug in a new one, and you could launch it again. But uh, I remember we, we lived in New Mexico at the time, so there was lots of wide open spaces. And and these little rockets go a few hundred feet in the air, so it's not like they're going to be up where um, you know airplanes are and cause a damage to most airplanes unless you're right near the airport, but uh, or the runway. Uh, but they, we would angle them into the wind. I remember you were you were sort of yep. the master of that. Of like the launch pad didn't necessarily go straight up. We would angle it towards the so that it would launch, and then hopefully when it with the most of them there were some that were light enough they would spin back down, but. Um, uh, or, or just fluttered back down or fall. But a lot yeah. of them had a parachute. And the little engine, uh, when it got to the end, would actually shoot a little bit of a charge back up out of the top of the engine, which would then kick out the chute at the top of the that's, rocket. That's right. The back pressure would yeah. pop the parachute. And uh, Yeah. Anyway, as, long as, was... the, as long as there's uh, not too much wind, you were okay. If the wind was going pretty good... Uh, you might kiss goodbye to your rocket because it might be too hard to go catch if it blows off that, all that, the way. That's right. They had also what they called tumble recovery. Instead of popping out the uh, right. top, the parachute at the top and come out of a hole on the side of the rocket, mm -hmm. uh, enough of a pressure that caused it to spin. Right. And, of course, uh, that brings it down pretty fast. But being real small, yeah. typically. The, yeah. The smaller the, rockets did the tumble recovery, the ones that were a little bit larger. Uh, generally didn't do that. And I remember they had some of them. Some of them were just like, you know, made up names of simple rockets, you know, tube with a cone on the top of it to, to give it some aerodynamics. But there were some that were actually like modeled after famous uh, rockets. And, uh, and so it was kind of cool that some of them were sort of historical from the early days of rocketry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was interesting. I enjoyed doing that. It was a fun father-son uh, project to build the rocket and then go out and launch your rocket, you know. Uh, yep. That was those were fun times. Something I didn't do with my with my daughters. We didn't go launch rockets. We did other things. Now the the interesting technology in the rocketry today that I find fascinating uh, was something we talked about back when I was uh, 
a missile man and was involved with launches from uh, mm -hmm. uh, the West Coast. Uh, Air Force had their own rocket facility out there at Vandenberg Air Force Base. And uh, anyway, uh, the thing today is uh, uh, the ability to recover your big boosters by right. landing, landing them vertically back onto a platform out in the ocean. Yeah, famously, uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX comp uh, company is doing that. That's, that's real tricky. Of course, the main mm -hmm. thing it requires is a steerable nozzle. Yeah. Uh, without the nozzle uh, being steerable, there's no way to get it down where you want it and maintain stability while, you're, while, while the rocket's falling or getting it, making it stable. Yeah, steerable uh, nozzle on the bottom and then smaller um, nozzles up near the top of the booster to keep it in a vertical position as it's coming back down. Yeah. So And, and Musk, you know, as, as one would expect, there, the, SpaceX had several uh, pretty spectacular failures as they were refining the idea and getting it working, but it seems to be working pretty reliably now. And that saves them a large chunk of cost of having to, uh, you know, rebuild the, the rocket motors and... Uh, and that whole section of the rocket, right, yeah. becomes reusable but that, now. But that's, a, but that's an expensive thing, so the recoverability is great. Now, I don't know what the numbers show as to how many times they reuse a particular rocket, yeah. because it's, it's still, when it lands, it, there, there really no cushion, not much cushion there other than what the ocean and the, and the raft it lands on provides, uh, because, you, you know, you're... You're still falling based with a little bit of lift the in, uh, until you cut off the engines at, at last. And that's typically when you're within three foot, I would guess, of the of the bottom. So it's still a pretty good landing force. Uh, so but anyway, uh, that's all made possible, of course, by comp the computers that we have these days that can yeah. calculate all the, uh, the stability equations and. And decide, you know, how much to boost things and mm -hmm. all controllability sure. features, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like computers. They're using computers to fly essentially unstable airplanes, uh, you know, so that they can be more stealthy or they can be uh, more maneuverable. And you, that same technology can be used to to control, make, you know, micro adjustments in the in the positioning of a rocket that's relanding faster than a human could. Well, uh, this says it'll, it, they can use almost every piece of a Falcon rocket over 100 times. Is that right? They said heat shields and a few other items uh, will be reused about 10 times before the replacement. Yeah. Well, anyway, the, uh, the control e equations and the complexity of this, of, of a landing a, a booster, is, not, is much closer to being what you have in a helicopter than it is in an airplane. Right. Because if you think about it, a helicopter is a... Uh, not a aero surfaces type of control. It's uh, it, ex except for the propellers, of course. But uh, it's it's very complex compared to an average airplane. And then uh, they tell me that the uh, uh, booster is probably at least twice as more complex as landing a helicopter. So sure, it's non-trivial. Yeah, no. The point that the point that I was making is just the computer control stuff is is you know the, the idea of making sure that you're maintaining something at a specific you know attitude and location and stuff is and the micro adjustments have to be done faster than a human could do it and so that's why the computers that's, are ab absolutely being yep. used for that and for lots of other things that fly in the air now. So you know, yay for computers.
Yes, indeed. That's that's a classic example of of what we've achieved because yeah. uh, they run uh, thousands of times faster than what we had when we had. I mean, the previous space program was yeah. going on. We say yay for computers now. We now we can see, yeah exactly because there's been conversations about the um, you know we walk around with our iPhone that has more computing power than the Apollo mission used. But uh, that's right, uh, which is stunning to think about. But there's also a boo for computers. Uh, uh, Kaspersky is one of the uh, better known um, sellers of antivirus software. And Kaspersky Labs has now been flagged as a national security risk. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they're located in Russia. That's correct. So uh, Kaspersky and, says that, that it uh, is unconstitutional, that well, them being blocked. <laughs> it's politically incorrect to deal with Russia at this point, whether yeah. regardless of the reasons. Yeah. The FCC has deemed the products and services from the Russia-based cyber cyber security firm unacceptable risk to national security. Yeah. So, um, so as that's, uh, you know, I don't know. They, they they probably had some some good features in their software and all of that. And who knows? But the fact that Russia has the possibility of of. Uh, yeah, controlling uh, lots of other computers or whatever is just not a good risk to take. So, I, I, I'm sure that they were asked. They're probably p- people who have that are trying to figure out how to get it off their computer now and yeah. be sure that didn't leave anything behind. Exactly. Well, I think there's a lot of people who are who are you know maybe paranoid, maybe just really security conscious and smart. It's hard to say which it is at this point. Who would be going? It's been on this computer. This computer is tainted. I cannot use this computer anymore. Time for a new computer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's probably you a know. case in some places. But yeah, yeah. The the other one that I thought was kind of interesting is the fact that uh, you know Apple Pay has expanded uh, worldwide, and uh, they had some a relationship with some uh, credit cards in Russia. Well, they work with the banks there, just like they the banks in each country, wherever the Apple Pay works. So, Right. So they've uh, had a, a close a loophole that allowed Russian users to pay uh, or to access money through the Apple Pay system. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's been shut down now, too. So it's just one of the many things in, that resulted from the uh, incursion into uh, 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 Lithuania. No, is it? Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine. I couldn't think of it. Yeah. I knew I was going to say Lithuania, but that didn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those Eastern European countries that you know is being crushed by the evil empire. Yeah. That's uh, right. To quote uh, Ronald Reagan, you know the list of companies that have been blocked by the FCC. There's only eight of them on there. This is the first Russian company. It looks to me like all of the rest of them are Chinese. Yeah. 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 So, and they've uh, starting. Uh, most of them were blocked on March 12th, but several of them were blocked on March 25th of this year. Uh, oh, of last year. Most of them were March March 12th of last year. I guess March 25th of this year, they've blocked three more, including China Mobile International USA Incorporated and China Telecom Americas Corp. So, yeah. 
And, uh, the, and who can you trust is also comes to the business of just communications and most of the social media that, that we're all used to hearing about, uh, have of course, uh, shut down like Facebook and Google and whatever yeah. over in Russia. But there's one that was popular over there called Telegram. Now they've, they've been allowed and I guess are still in operation for one reason alone. And that is, is that they don't, uh, basically filter it. It's, it's almost uh, true open use uh, with just a few exceptions. And right. I'm trying to read what they are, but, uh, but they have nothing to do with political. Well, you uh, say they, they're allowed. The, uh, the other companies that shut down didn't shut down because the government told them to. They shut down of their own accord um you know, right telegram you know and and i'm i'm not a fan of social media in general and i'm, I'm a, a actively dislike facebook and their products but part of me also says if we don't give them any means of getting information outside of the government controlled media then people in russia don't understand what's really going on in the world because they don't have a, a, an open and independent uh news media in their country and so, you know, I, we've had repeated stories about Ukrainians reaching out to family members in Russia, t- trying to tell them, hey, guys, y- it's really bad here and, and Russia's doing some horrible things. And they're going, no, no, no. Our government says we're there to help people. You don't understand. And they're going, no, you don't understand. There's bombs falling in my front yard, you know. And they're going, yeah. oh, you know, stop that. Our country wouldn't do that to somebody, you know. Yeah. And so they don't believe it. And and. If all well, like all you if your only source of news is filtered through the government, the government tells you what they want you to know. Yeah, apparently this Telegram thing allows all of the Russian propaganda that's that the Russians want to put on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it if it allows other uh, sites to come in because it, they don't have a ban against any kind of uh, you know posting other than spam, scams, violence, and porn. Yeah. They're, per their uh, terms of service. Yeah, but apparently they've only got uh, a few hundred moderators compared to, like, Facebook's 15,000 moderators. That said, Facebook also has, you know, billions of users, so 15,000 people is not much for a moderator. Right. Uh, uh, you know, uh, per- percentage-wise, they don't tell you what is what is your, your user-to-moderator ratio. I don't right. know that it's really that different. I, and my guess is is that a whole bunch of stuff, just like on Facebook, a whole bunch of stuff gets posted that, you know, gets taken down if people complain about it. But if they don't, it, it just, you know, it may or may not follow the rules. Yeah. You know, there's just too much there. Um, although, you know, they can use AI to track a lot of that stuff. So anyway, uh, it, it, it basically uh, shows that if you open up completely, then, you know, you you put up with whatever people want to say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so a system like that is useful only if the people believe what they're reading, you know? Well, you know, <laughs> that's the problem we have here. I mean, you know, politically yeah. in our country, we've had the same issue. You know, we, I, the downside of having everything go through the government is that the government controls what you, you hear. But the, yeah. the upside is, is that you've got one place to go for your news, right? Here, we've got a jillion places to go for your news, but you have to decide what's real and what's not. And yeah. so, you know, you have uh, chunks of America believing one thing and chunks of America believing another thing. And sometimes, you know, they're looking at the exact same evidence, drawing completely separate conclusions. And so then you go, well, how do we even have a conversation? So, you know, I'm not sure that, uh, that that's a... Um, 
a positive either way. There's there's drawbacks to, to getting your information either way. You know, it really becomes incumbent on the individual to actively seek out, um, you know, confirmation and multiple uh, uh, sources for their information. And and it's tough because it's real easy on the Internet to basically, you know, see what somebody else said and then repost it as something you said, you know. And so you can check multiple sources and it might be all all of it boils down to the same story from one place that everybody just kept picking up and repeating. By the way, I I wish I had the title of a book, but there's a book that's just put out. Uh, I only found out about it on a Huckabee show the other day. Uh and I don't even remember the author's name, but basically he's a guy who does psychology uh, surveys and stuff for business purposes. And it's important for business that you understand what your what your uh, customers believe and don't believe. And basically, uh, with all this uh, uh, conflict or seeming conflict going on in this country, let's say between the Republicans, Democrats or whatever other groups you want to identify. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically showed that that's perception, not reality. Because if you do actual surveys, we agree on a whole lot more oh, sure. than, than we think we do. Yeah. You know? Well, I've often said that, you know, if you look at the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, it they would almost be the same party in some other places in the world. If you look at the, the difference between, you know, the, the conservative and liberal factions in some countries versus in our country, Right. Uh, they're very, very close to each other. But the things that we we argue about sometimes are 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 just, you know, inane arguments. I mean, you know, it's it, it's it's funny because I, I in my mind and this is just me. So, you know, you can take it for what it, what it's worth. But, you know, I don't even think in terms of like progressives and liberals and and uh, and conservatives anymore. It seems like the big arguments are between um, the the uh, the ultra progressives and the trumpites and then there and and then there's a whole bunch of people who kind of sit in the middle either slightly left or slightly right looking at at the people who are in the news all the time because they say ridiculous things so they get in the news and and we're shaking our heads going this place is going crazy you know yeah (laughs) but there's a whole bunch of people sitting in the middle doing that you know there's a whole bunch of them i can't be the only one and you know when i talk to people i i tend to get that you know i get that's the sense i get anyway you know, yeah. I mean, we've got a uh, a uh, you know a nominee for the uh, Supreme Court who's who who's not a stupid woman who who basically goes you know publicly says I can't tell you what uh, I can't define a woman because if she does the people who nominated her are going to lose their minds because you know although she sort of did because she said I'm not a biologist which means okay so for you the difference between a man and a woman is biological okay that tells us where you stand you know. <laughs> It's just, yeah. it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, well, I, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I thought Huckabee had in his monologue hit that one right on the head. He says, how about two X chromosomes? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's essentially what she said when she said, I'm not a biologist. Then, then yeah. you think it's a biological question, you know? Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, what she should have said, if, if in my mind anyway, was, well, I'm a woman and beyond that, you know, I may have to be making decisions about this in cases and, you know, on a case by case basis, we'll look at what the issue really is, because things that we say is, is this a woman or is this not a woman? 
is not yeah. the way that cases show up in front of me. You know, they're going to say in this instance, in this for this person, did this happen? And, you know, and how should that person be treated? You know, because, right. I mean, I don't care what a, an individual says about who they are or what they are. That's up to them. And I say treat people with love and respect, regardless of who they are, period. Treat them with love and respect. Well, but, you know, but I, don't tell me how to think, you know, I'm going to but, figure but, that out on myself. But but you think you see, I, I think she slipped up by saying it was a biological issue when a lot of uh, people uh, I've seen some comments on the Web about that in the fact that the uh, uh, it's not just biology. That basically says you're determined by your biology and the argument of the LGBT crowd is it has. Well, that's, that's why that's, that's why I'm that's saying I, I think I think that what she did is she basically slipped in the look. I agree with the the consensus of America, which is, says it really is biological. And this 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 extremist position is is crazy. I think that's essentially what she said without saying it by saying I'm not a biologist. Yeah, because she said it's biological. It's you know, that's what she said. I'm not yeah. a biologist. If I was a biologist, I would know. Right. So therefore, right. it's biological. That's what yeah. she said. Um, now, she said it. But she said it as a denial of saying something, so yeah. that then gets her off the hook with the people who, you know, the group that um, nominated her. I thought it was also kind of ironic that she's saying, you know, I can't define what a woman is, yet the man who nominated her didn't have any trouble figuring it out because he said he was going to nominate an African-American woman. He figured it out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I, you know, I yeah. mean, I, again... Anyway, we, we, we can love and respect, hours. love and respect to all people that, that, you know, I, I, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it, but it's, you know, I mean, I have on that topic to being a swim coach, I have issues with the, the, the transgender swimmer that set records and, and, you know, won some events at the NCAAs. Um, I just don't see that as a fair way to compete. Right. I, de- I decided what they should do is handicap. They should do away with gender-based races. They should handicap people. Just yeah. Just like they that's... do, you know, bowling is a handicap game. Hey, that's a good idea. And so, you know. That's absolutely you know, a good idea. We just add or subtract time from your from your finishing time based on a handicap, you know, and everybody races together. And then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Then, it, then I don't care. I just want to know who, who went fastest based on and and now then you have to figure out well what's a fair way to do the handicapping but you know you can that that can you can statistically figure that out um so anyway that's my thing the thing is there though that the first one to the wall isn't necessarily the winner because of the handicapping right you know because there's no good way to like stagger the start in a in a in a swim meet or like a track meet because then you go like beep 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 which beep do you go on you know you don't know well the, the fact that it's a timed sport means that every that's that, that's the only thing that really matters. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is I think you don't even have uh you know don't even worry about you know any genders. Everybody swims together. There's a handicap. But that's me. There's a lot of people who would disagree with that too, and that's fine. You know. And I came up with that idea. I don't know last week sometime. Yeah. I may change my mind next week, but right now that seems like the better answer to me. That makes it fair for everybody. So you can wear whichever kind of swimsuit you want. Yep. So as long as you start with the proposition that we just want to make this fair. Right. Yeah. Which I don't think anybody is saying they want it to be unfair, you know, even as it is now. But the idea that, you know, chemically reducing somebody's testosterone is going to make up for, you know, living through, um, 
puberty as a male and building the musculature and body of a male, you know, and then cutting their testosterone doesn't doesn't level the playing field. That that's, you know, no, no, that's that's so artificial. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, there are some truly difficult problems though too. I think I shared this once before about the there was uh, three African women who uh, were banned from the Olympics because they were told that they had to go on testosterone-lowering drugs because their natural testosterone was too high. And uh, and apparently uh, two of them uh, actually had, in externally they were female, but internally apparently they had some, some male um, uh, parts that were creating higher testosterone that they weren't even aware of. They had no idea. Um, huh. You know, and unfortunately, then they weren't allowed to compete. And, you know, that's not fair either. So, yeah. yeah. And and while they were good athletes, I don't know that any of them were like gold medal athletes. It was it was, you know, but but there again, arbitrarily, we've tested you and your testosterone's too high. Sorry. Tough luck. You've trained all your life. Yeah. You know. Well. You know, you know this uh, throughout sports. That what you suggested there of uh, of uh, handicapping things is is by definition fair. Yeah, it, it groups people by sort of their compa- comparable yeah. performances. You know. Yeah, capabilities. It just it just says right. you know based on the history, your history in this sport. Here's here's the handicap you have to carry in order to finish and everybody everybody has one you know and we just go off of that so i don't know anyway let's move on to tech stuff yeah more mathematical calculations of how to make things fair right we do our best so um (laughs) running windows and mac os simultaneously with an 80 dollar tool something i've used before uh, i used to uh in my swimming world had an app that I re- was required for me to enter kids into swim meets. I had to have software that did that, and it only ran on Windows. It was originally written in an Access database, and it was only available on Windows. And so I ran Parallels Desktop on my Mac for many a year uh, yep. to, to run that one program. That was it. And right. then eventually there was a, a, a web-based version that did the same thing, that I could do entries on the web. And when that became available, then I just... I switched. Although the web was a subscription, whereas the um, the Windows software, you bought it and it was yours. And so there was an advantage to staying with the Windows software too, because it was cheaper. But it, when my team got big enough that I could afford it, I switched to the other one, because then I could basically run everything off of an iPad, which made you know my life happier, much less to carry around with me to swim meets and to, at the pool decks and things like that. But uh, if you, like I did, have a need to run Windows on your uh, Mac so that you can bounce back and forth between the operating systems. If you have some custom software or some, you know, any software that's Windows only that you absolutely have to use, eighty bucks gets you Parallels Desktop. Um, yeah, although, that's a temp- that's a temporary discount from a hundred. Right. Well, and it looks like they are now subscription. It used to be you buy that and you had it. Now they want a one-year subscription, but that then gives you all the updates and stuff. And this yeah. puts Windows on top of a uh, an M1 Mac, right? Which otherwise well, you can't do. Well, I you know I didn't 
I, I had some questions about that. It, you know, I, I think I'd have to dig into it a little further because it doesn't say M1 anywhere in this article. Yeah. Um. So, uh, since the M1 is fairly new, I think they probably ha- are on there already. But this is also the way I see it is there because you it's probably on an M1. And, and because of performance, they're able to do some things that they hadn't done in the earlier versions of Parallels, where you really did a reboot and it was a long, longer process to switch back and forth. No, that's you're incorrect. The original version of Parallels uh, was what avoided having to do the reboot. The uh, boot camp is the Apple built-in way of rebooting your Mac into a different operating system. And that worked on the Mac within the Intel Macs. The reason you bought something like Parallels was you didn't want to have to reboot. You just could switch into Windows by clicking on an app. Uh, uh, you're right. Uh, I, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's the whole reason I had Parallels, because I didn't want to have to be rebooting my Mac all the way. The um, the Mac, it, the M1, the Parallels on an M1 chip uses Rosetta technology, uh, and so it's integrated with the Rosetta, and it will give you a Windows on Mac experience. I'm looking so, at the but anyway, page. Uh, speed will probably enhance that performance and make it seem a lot smoother, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, I suspect this is on M1, but I just don't don't see it in here. Do you? So not in that article. I went to the uh, to the Parallels webpage, and they show that uh, that uh, virtual machines running on Parallels proactively implement native virtualization to support Mac computers with M1 chips. Uh, that way, they can run Windows on Mac. So they are essentially have they have a virtualized Intel computer that they're running in order to run Windows. Um, I think they're also going to support uh, through Parallels the Windows on ARM. But Windows on ARM is very poorly supported in the Windows world as well, so there's not a lot of applications won't run there. You know, uh, if you get, you can run like the Microsoft applications, Word and Excel and that kind of stuff. But if you're going to run that stuff, you might as well buy the Mac version. You know, <laughs> I guess well, if you're going to buy, you know, if you need if you need like Mac, Microsoft Visual Studio and you want to run that on an M1 Mac, then you could do it via Parallels. Yeah. I I would think that we're at a point where, uh, in terms of performance, uh, probably it doesn't matter which system you're on. It's just what software interface do you prefer? Yeah, I mean, well, there are some pieces of software which are only available on the Windows platform. There still are. Um, Mostly it's stuff that was written specifically for businesses and things like that, and so you may be tied into something like that. Yeah. Uh, Apparently this this is... um, good enough that they're able to run even some windows gaming stuff in parallels on a mac and and they the parallels people claim they've received and this is in air quotes enthusiastic feedback so we'll see uh you know how well that works because games sometimes you know push a lot of stuff but the fact that they're doing it inside of an m1 uh mac now says that you know they're that a that machine runs fast enough that they can actually uh virtualize an intel processor underneath that and still run fast enough that it's usable and obviously if they can run games that's pretty fast so um you know i guess i guess what we're saying is is that if you've got an m1 mac that that and you need to run a windows thing you can still do that without uh giving something up and it's been a while i mean the m1s have been out a year now 
So, you know, I, it, it, I'm not surprised that the parallels yeah. have gotten there. Yep. Yep. Well, everybody that's, that cares at all about the Mac world is going fast as they can to the, toward the M1. Yeah. Uh, architecture. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been a few little gotchas um, that I've read about uh, with some of that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, that's just, it's clearly faster, uh, more power efficient, you know, especially for laptops. Anybody who's used some of the Mac laptops with the bigger, the more powerful Intel chips know what it's like to have the thing get so warm. It's uncomfortable on your legs. They've had that for years. I mean, back when you had a, the, the large uh, Mac, MacBook pro, even That's right. Yours was what a 2011 or 2008, something like that. Yeah, you, you you used to wonder whether your legs are becoming steak or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. That's uh, a whole bunch of lap desks and pillows were sold as a result of that because it would get uncomfortably warm, you know. That's um, right. And apparently now they, you know, basically the the fans hardly make any noise at all or even spin up, and you can get the uh, the basic M1 with no fan at all in a MacBook Air, and it doesn't get hot. Right. So, you know, you know, if they can stick the M1 in a in an iPad that that without a fan, that it's it's not going to get too toasty. <laughs> you know, and the M1 is based on the same chip that was in the um, the iPhone 12. The M2 is supposed to be based on the core from the uh, iPhone 13, and that series chip uh, dropped down in in size in on the die size, and so it's supposed to run. Slightly faster, but significantly cooler and more efficient yet. So, you know, yeah, we should see another fifteen or twenty percent increase in in power per watt when we go to that one. So the M2 chips, which are expected to be the next generation, as we get toward you know towards the middle or the end of the year. Um, I I haven't seen very anything other than just using the term M2. Right. Uh, there's not much speculation going on other than oh they'll do the, the normal things increase the clock speed and yeah. whatever. Uh, I would expect that the improvements might have more to do with uh, some additional uh, uh, I/O power. Which yeah. wasn't very much emphasized in the M1. Well, especially but, the base. The base M1 was pretty limited. Yeah, uh, but especially, uh, I mean, when when it comes to gaining speed, uh, you know, it depends on, of course, what you're using it for. Yeah. But they, they tried to put the more important stuff in the M1, uh, including, you know, even uh, uh, machine learning. Yeah. All features a lot, you know, there are so special modules just for those. Yeah, kind of activities, but uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of I/O. Yeah, and well, so you know what I think honestly is if you look at the difference between um, the M or the the A series chips in the iPhone 12 versus the A series chips in the iPhone uh, 13s, what we gained was uh, about a 25 percent increase in battery life and a about a 15% increase in processing power. And I expect that when we go to the M2s, that's what we're going to see. And that's mostly through going to the smaller die uh, so that things were closer together, had to go, you know, less distance across the chip and, um, and you know, uses a little less juice. Well, they did, one article said a four nanometer uh, process for d building the chip versus the five nanometer. Now, I read three and five, but yeah. Yeah, so it's slightly slightly smaller die, 
so things are more efficient um uh you know assuming that they can get enough um uh yield off of you know as they make things smaller it's harder and harder to make, right. make a chip without having uh problems with it um you know i the other thing that i heard that maybe will be happening is you know the the m1 max has that that interleave edge that they could put you know that that the m1 ultra could basically be the other half of you know so you could put two m1 maxes together yeah and uh one of the things interesting things that i read is the m2 max might then have that same type of edge on more than one edge so that you could then put more than one chip to one chip you could maybe go you know yeah if it's on well, two sides you could put the four corners together and you would have a quad chip well you know when it comes to chip architecture for a long time there was a lot of uh chatter well way back when i retired uh which is now 20 years uh more uh there was talk about vertical architectures in chips yeah. uh you know that they're on certain specialty chips that happened, but right. you don't you don't hear about it at least yeah. in the layout of the M1 chip. It's mm -hmm. it's as if it's all on one layer. Yeah, you know? one one plane, right? Well, that was one of the things they talked about. Yeah, in plane. fact, we talked about it when they when they uh, announced the uh, we saw the teardown on the Mac Studio. The fact that the thing has um, heat pipes coming from both sides of the chip implies that that maybe is an architecture that's designed to handle chips that are multiple layered. So instead of laying out um, the, say, an M2 um, uh, Ultra chip by putting four, four chips together with, you know, two edges each touching another chip, that they would have basically the Ultra package, which is two chips together stacked on top of each other so that so that there would be, you know, one above each of the two chips so that you'd have four chips that way. Uh, and if you ha and that would explain why they have cooling that comes from both the top and the bottom, right? Because yeah, you would right. need that. Yeah. And so that implied that maybe that's how they're going to stick it together, that it's going to be uh, top and bottom, and that that interleave is even more complex than they implied because it's going to be able to handle not just going back and forth, but up and down between right. another set of chips that have been stacked below it. So, yeah, it, it's going to be real interesting to see how they how they um, make that happen, you know, because clearly, as was stated in the last uh, Apple event, one more computer to go. Right. The Mac Pro. And that's got to be the one that's got, you know, more, bigger, better, faster. Right. Right. So yeah. how are they going to how are they going to create it? I really hope they bring back the name Quadra. They used to have a Quadra computer. The app, the Mac Quadra was something they sold back in, uh, you know, the uh, John Scully days. And yeah. and even though, um, you know, th I think Apple tries to, to pretend that part of their history doesn't exist because it was, you know, in the interim when Steve Jobs was gone. <laughs> so there's the Jobs <laughs> era before and after. And in the middle, they just go like, and that stuff's behind the curtain. We don't talk about it anymore. Um, but you know, there were some interesting things. I think the Apple Newton was a, was a, you know, way before its time, probably before the technology could handle it type of device, but that was, it was, you know, shockingly cool. Um, you know, and, and the Quadra, I just think it's a cool name. So if you're going to go, you know, a four by four chip, you've gone yeah. max, you've gone ultra, go Quadra. <laughs> well, that implies four of something. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
I think yeah. they stand the chips vertically and then they have a, uh, a connect on, on both the right and the left side and they just make a little square and they put a fan in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it all comes down to what's, what uh, you can do with the physical uh, architecture in terms of heating and getting heat out because yeah. that's still always the limiting thing. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at the uh, the Mac Studio compared to the Mac Pro that was the 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 round cylindrical one, I think yeah. Apple has learned that you know we're going to design a cooling system and then we'll put a computer in it because <laughs> right. they're, they're not going to paint themselves into a thermal corner ever again. Yeah, you know, at least till this generation of designers and engineers are gone, you know, <laughs> they remember and they're going, yeah, that made us look bad, mud on our face. So, you know, when you come out with the ultra pro computer, right, and it can't be upgraded and overheats, <laughs> it just looks bad. <laughs> it's just a bad look, really bad look. Yeah. You know? And the pros look at you with side eye going, uh-huh. It's yeah. pretty. <laughs> so. Did you um, did you see that there was a there was a line of uh, of conversation online about the um, at this last announcement that when they had uh, uh, in one of the scenes they had the speaker talking and they said behind them in the corner looked like they had one of the Mac Pro computers the cylindrical ones and they had gutted it and then put flowers in it they were using it as a flower pot. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and if if that was it, either it was a flower pot that looked a lot like the mac pro or they took a mac pro and made a flower pot out of it which is hilarious i mean that, yeah. that's an admission of like oh yeah we found something to do with these things because they're garbage <laughs> <laughs> well they always called them trash cans right yeah yeah a flower pot <laughs> you know that works too very modern looking fancy flower pot yeah but uh yeah so you found something about a, uh, a bone conduction speaker. Yeah, I, I, I misspelled this thing down on the bottom. It came out Hamburg, and it was supposed to be uh, Humbird. Humbird. Yeah. Humbird. So uh, I put the little ha-ha there because you yeah. can't edit the doggone text. Yeah. I thought, so. it, I thought you had tried to type humbug. <laughs> uh. So anyway, uh, it's uh, – it's kind of a fascinating thing. Now, there's there's always a matter of I, I read the comments on these things, uh, and so I went to the page that sells it, and well, I guess I sent you that sales uh, thing. It's mm -hmm. pretty inexpensive. It's a little tiny speaker, about an inch diameter, mm -hmm. for thirty bucks or something like yeah, that. Twenty-seven dollar, twenty-six ninety-nine. It, it, it's obvious that the actual sound performance that you get out of it has everything to do with what you attach it to. And it, it does have a suction cup or sticky type attachment. Uh, if you want to make it permanent, I guess you use the sticky widget. Otherwise, you use the suction cup. But still, that doesn't sound like a real good way to mount a speaker thing to, mm -hmm. to its, its media. But basically, by putting it on different surfaces, uh, uh, you can decide what gives you the best sound. People have found that with it, uh, the uh, it should be on some hollow container, like right. a cardboard box or something like that, that will allow it to resonate a, a bigger space. Yeah. Uh, well, in a sense, then, it's not really, I mean, you can use it as a bone conduction thing, but it's not really bone conduction. We're just saying this is a, a it's like a speaker driver without the speaker. And so you then decide what surface you're going to use as your speaker. Yeah. 
they did show it attached to somebody's helmet, uh, you know, which it gets a little closer to your head at least. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I want. I want a round disc stuck to the top of my head. Um, but uh, and you can buy two of them and then run them in stereo mode. Uh, but I thought it was, you know, fairly inexpensive and that it's kind of thing that you might want to have just have fun with and see what you can make it do. Yeah. Uh, uh, there, there was at least one comment there where the guy thought the sounds was really good. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you know, but does he hear better than you do? Well, <laughs> I, that's that's the other question, you know, yeah. is it, it, it you never know how to take comments because you don't right. know the people you know right yeah i you know i i had it uh, i found i gosh i'm trying to remember where it was it was at some store i think it might have been like in the closeout at target or something one time they have like the red tag stuff that you can buy you know cheap and they were closing them out and basically it was the same kind of thing it was a little um uh, uh vibrating piece that attached to you could attach it to any cardboard and this came with some uh, like a little foldable cardboard thing that you could fold it out. So it was, you, you could lay them flat to take it somewhere and then you could fold it out to make speakers. And, uh, and no, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I played with it for a while, um, but it wasn't high quality either. Yeah. And this one has Bluetooth. That one didn't have Bluetooth. It had a wire. So you had to plug it. So you could only, you know, go so far from your, your whatever your sound device was well this and, one says bluetooth 5 i, I right. guess that's the latest i don't know yeah 5 or 5 1 is the latest but yeah it says you know 115 decibels but you know that is largely going to depend on what you've attached it to because by itself it's not going to make that much noise yeah uh, uh, you know and are, how, how much distortion do you get when you have it cranked to 115 decibels yeah what one of the things that i thought about is that uh, for a birthday, we gave one of Haley's boys, 11 or 12-year-old, uh, uh, an interesting gift for his birthday this year. Yeah. What, it has a name, but I don't, I don't remember it, and it wouldn't ma matter to most people. But what it basically is, is a resonant metal drum. Now, oh, kalimba. And, and, and you can hit these various spots and play music on this thing, but it's really got a nice... Uh, harm, uh, resonance about it, yeah. And if you're hooked a speaker like this to something like that, it seems to me it might be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, you know. Yeah, at least at least for certain kinds of music or something, maybe you know. Yeah, it's possible. Like they said, something something hollow that has some sort of resonance, like a you know, like a lot of music instruments do, right? You know, drums and guitars and things like that have a, uh, you know, a. Well, yeah, they Res had resonating yeah, box. Yeah, they even had a picture of one of these on on the outside of a acoustic guitar, fairly close to the hole, the uh -huh. uh, resonance hole in the middle. And I bet that would be pretty good too, because it would just add to the resonance of of the box, you know. Yeah. So. Anyway, uh, I I haven't ordered one yet, but I've been thinking about it. Yeah, I well, I mean, given the, the price, it'd be fun to play with, right? Well, it's on sale for only two days, so it says either order it today or tomorrow, or else forget about it, you know, because it goes back to the other price. Uh-huh. I don't know if you noticed that, but... No, but I'm guessing that you could probably go find it somewhere else and, and see how much it costs or something very similar to it, if not that specific one. Right. So, anyway... uh 
it's it's just another I, I like just looking at gadgets like that when they get so cheap then that you you can say oh that sounds interesting let's just get one <laughs> you know it's almost a no-brainer uh, I just don't know if I've got the time to mess with it or want to spend the time doing it you know yeah but anyway yeah uh, no, it's worth looking at um so I'm looking, and a something that looks very similar to that is available for $33.99 on uh, Amazon. A bone-conducting yeah. speaker. Looks like it's about the same size. This one's by a company called Moby. But this is, this is Moby. Oh, okay. Well, then this is it. You can get it for $33.99 at Amazon. Okay. Yeah, $32.99 if you want the one that's all black. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Moby's the manufacturer for this one. So, yeah. Uh, I while I was on that page, original page, <laughs> they show sticking it to a basketball. Turn your basketball into a speaker. Uh, let's see. I I went around and looked at some other things that was interesting too. There was for thirty nine ninety five is a wireless HD endoscope endoscope camera. You know, for people who like to look around and look right. in things. Well, and sometimes if you're a mechanic or you're or you're um, you know trying to like look at connections behind things, having a camera on the end of a flexible tube is handy. Um, I actually bought one of those, uh, uh, but I decided it wasn't very good and returned it. Um, I didn't have that much use for it, and it just didn't didn't you know it wasn't that great. Um, but uh, if you have that kind of thing, yeah, that I mean, if you have a need for that kind of thing, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I, I remember times when I could have used one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, they had a number of electronic devices that the company Net Academy sells these things, and uh, if you uh, go to the shop area of their page, then you can get a whole bunch of them to look at different things that uh, mm -hmm. that uh, they sell. I got mine at Harbor Freight. They sell a couple different types of those things. And I think that's basically the ones they sell are for people who are like, you know, trying to look down into a pipe or trying to, you know, look behind the heating unit in your, in your, you know, heating closet or something. Uh, yeah. That kind of thing. So. So uh, they have like, here's a wireless charger and all kinds of weird stuff, you know, but it's, it's fun to look through and think about whether anything's worth messing with. They're all inexpensive, you know, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's that's like I think the, the tinkerer, the the, you know, electronics nerd in you finds that stuff interesting. I know I do, too. You know, it's just like, oh, that would be kind of fun <laughs> just to play around with. You know, it's not something I would want to spend a lot of money on, but it might be fun to just, you know, you, you, yeah. you, want, you want to look down inside your couch to find crap that fell in your couch, that that little camera would right. be pretty handy you know you don't have to like try to disassemble the couch just shove it down there and look and see what's there or like there was on a, one of the sunday shows uh, a thing in the museum that was a, a whole room full of gems i think it was in new york the, and uh, the fascinating thing is that a lot of these they had pictures of the mineral up close they were all of these gems are minerals of one right. type or another and they showed the actual picture through a microscope, you know? Right, yeah. Ultra and, macro photography. 
Yeah. And so these things all have little cubes or little crystals, you know, that they grow from. Mm -hmm. And then he showed just regular table salt. It looks beautiful through a a little microscope. Yeah, it's amazing (laughs) that, yeah, salt can become such a a pretty thing. Yeah. Little little translucent cubes. Um, Yeah. No, that's fun. I like macro photography. It's something I do. Speaking of photography, I want to... Uh, you know, make a pitch for something that I found the other day that I really like. There's a an app called Glass, and it's uh, Glass is sort of slang that photographers use for their lenses. You know, you get a variety, you know, you bring your glass with you. Uh, and mm-hmm. in fact, most photographers make an investment in their glass, and that determines which type of camera they have because it's more expensive to replace the lenses than it is the camera bodies at some point. So you just say, well, you know, I have a bunch of Nikon lenses or I have a bunch of Canon or Sony lenses. So when I go to buy a new camera, I'm going to buy that brand because I've already got the glass. Anyway, this app is a photographer's app. It's for it's for sharing and 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 discussing photographs. And what's cool about it, and, and this is a plus or a minus, I guess, depending on how you're looking at, it requires a, a subscription. It is not free, unlike Instagram and other places. Um, and because you have to pay for a subscription and it's a few bucks a month, or I think like $30 for a year, um, that means that everybody has exactly one account. So you can't like create an account and spam people and, and, and flame them and, and, you know, crap all over their work, uh, because it's tied to you. You are the person who you say you are because we have your credit card and we know who you are. And that's primarily, Mm -hmm. uh, a benefit because it's in, in this instance, people are posting, there's there's you know amateurs semi pros and pros posting photos here, and you get feedback. People go, "Hey, I really like that." And when you post it, it right underneath the photo says what camera you used, what lens you used, what were the settings on your camera. It doesn't show the the location data or anything like that, but it just lets you um, uh, know exactly how the thing was set up. And then very often in the comments, the photographer when they post it said. You know, yeah, I took a little, uh, you know, I, I, I changed the white balance a little bit to make the photo look a little cooler because it's a picture of snow and I wanted the whole thing to look, you know, cold and isolated or something like that. So they talk a little bit about their photo and, and other people then come back and make comments on it. And it's all, I just found it to be a very, very uh, supportive uh, environment for somebody who wants to take pictures and, and wants to be better at pictures and get ideas for pictures because you can go through and see what other people have done and you go, wow, that's really cool. I could do something like that by my house. I mean, there's a really cool, um, in fact, a guy, uh, 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 his, a, uh, he, do, he, he writes and talks about uh, tech stuff as well. O Malik posted a photo uh, that he took with his Leica camera uh, and it got posted on the Leica site as a, uh, as a photo of note. Um, but he was on a trip to Antarctica, and so he took a picture of, like, a mountain range. And you just see this thin line of the mountain because there's snow in front of him. There, the sky above him is all white. Everything's white except for this, like, little thin line that outlines where the mountain is. You know, and if you zoom in and look at it more closely, you can see, well, that's clearly a mountain, and there's rocks and stuff, and it's, you know. But uh, I just really like it. I think it's kind of neat. It's called glass. Huh. Well, it's interesting that you bring up photography because – as I was going through my page of interesting things, here's this thing that says there's a hundred or a thousand dollar and forty eight a thousand and forty eight dollar value for one dollar. No. Well, I so I pushed the button. I said, I got to see what this is all about. Yeah, the skeptic well, in me is already raised it, his eyebrow. 
it, it turns out that uh, they are selling bundles of, of various photography uh, cl- classes or courses online or whatever, or mm-hmm. books. And uh, on the right side, it says the average price of these is 1684 right now. And you can pay what you want. You just, they'll, they'll sell you, I guess, any one of those items for whatever you want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And it tells you the value or estimated value along the side that adds up to that $1,000. Well, the very first item is a $400 value. Photography assets by Kasia Schmoka. Anyway, 65 stock photos to further your photography education. And, and you can see more if you click here to look at, at his stuff. But I guess it's just those photos. I don't know why they're worth that much, but they, must, they look pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. you can get more, more online uh, or look at it more online. And then there's another one, $250 estimated value. Add 40 photos to your library for reference or further for your creativity. So these are all people's pictures, it sounds like. The next one's black and white photography in a digital age. So if you're learning photography, this would be kind of cool, I suppose. You know, whatever your interests are. Because uh-huh. there's some for just about everybody here. Family portraits, and, you know, photography master class, it says. That's just by the guy, the same guy. It's an online course that ha- gives you that first set of 400 uh, well, worth $400, I'm sorry. So it yeah. says it's a five-hour class. Or content five hours, fifty lessons. Yeah. Well, I mean, having not looked at it, I, I have no idea what the you know what I would value the content at. Um, I would yeah. say that you know that while that may be a great deal, it may not. You know, I just don't know um, sure. personally. That's my feeling. I would. Say, I know that there are some pretty good uh, uh, books on you know how to how to use your camera and how how to get you know, decent photos, uh, in photography. Um, okay. and that one of those would probably be, um, my go-to for somebody who's just got a new camera and is serious about learning to take some good pictures. Yeah. So anyway, it's just, uh, another way of selling things that, uh, kind of gets your attention, at least on the first page. Yeah. 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 My, um, my go-to book, if somebody asks, is, um, is this it? It's one of them. It's called um, How to Photograph Everything. Yeah. Simple Techniques for Shooting Spectacular Images. And it's a book of pictures, and underneath each picture is a brief, you know, paragraph to a half a page of here's how to set your camera up to get that picture or a picture like that. And yeah. it's, um, you know, it's it's just a... Um, a how-to more than anything else and so i think that's a, a very good one um uh, yeah tom ang also does one called uh digital photography master class and that's advanced photographic techniques for creating perfect pictures and that's the tom ang does uh, a couple of them and he, so that's the those are the ones that i i would recommend digital photography complete course is his main book um and i've actually used those as as textbooks for photography classes and so those i would recommend 
I found a, I found another similar bundle sort of thing that tells that lets you learn programming. Like it's got it mm -hmm. starts with C, then C plus plus, and then C sharp. Mm -hmm. And with with each of these things, like the C sharp thing, is a comprehensive course uh, that uh, uh, begin sort of has beginners and then intermediate right. and then beyond the intermediate and then advanced optimization. Mm -hmm. just, just for C-sharp, you know? Yeah, and I think those kind of things make a lot of sense for, for people who are interested in that. I mean, quite honestly, it, a lot of those books have a ton of great information, and if you just sat down, if you learned everything in that book, you would be a competent programmer, at least a competent beginner programmer. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, the, it, like a lot of things, you know, there's books that are like that, too, that are like music books. It's like, well, if you learned everything in that book, you would be a competent uh yeah. you know musician you know uh in, in at least the base understanding of music theory you know does right. that mean that you're a great programmer or you can play the guitar better than somebody else probably not that's just re that that requires practice right. practice natural practice, skill and a love and, practice, right? and love of what you're doing because if you don't love what you're doing you're not going to practice that's uh, right you know and so it's you know, it's it's funny because when you say things like like the classes like that for for photography or for music or for um, uh, programming, you know, those are the kind of things that you can go get a degree in. But in some cases, it just depends on the individual. Some people are very you know uh, structured and want the school. Um, other people are very self motivated. If they've got a reference to answer their questions or a expert to answer their questions. All they need is that and time, you know. Some people, you give them a computer and time, and they're going to teach themselves how to program. You know, you give them a guitar and time, and they're going to teach themselves how to play guitar. Uh, yeah. You know, give them a camera and time, and they're going to be a great photographer. You know? Yeah. And so it's just – I'm not anti-getting the, the degree because it opens certain doors, but for certain areas of expertise, the degree is – always a good thing but it's not not a required thing and sometimes it's just a delay in getting you to where you need to be if you really want to be proficient at something so you know each individual has to make those calls <laughs> yeah here's here's another one a micro drone that you can fly yeah you know i am forever enamored by that but in order to get a decent drone you got to go to about seven hundred dollars yeah from everything i've read you can get a, a, a decent drone, but but for about seven hundred dollars, you can get a drone that you can that can fly, you know, a mile or two and has avoidance, uh, collision avoidance built into it, so it won't be smashing into a tree or into a house or something. Um, and and you can get the ones that are small enough that you don't have to get the FCC license, and you know, in a decent you know uh, 1080p if not a 4K or 2K camera in them, so you can get some good video and stuff. And I just I look at it and I go, that's amazing. It would be a lot of fun to play with. But is it worth that much money? Am I going to play with it that much? And the answer always comes back for me, no. I, right. It's the kind of thing where I could go spend, you know, 700 to to $1,000 on something. And I would fly it around a few times and go, wow, that was kind of cool. Yep. And then yep. put it in a box and it would sit in a box somewhere. And it's like, that's too much money to have sitting in a box somewhere. <laughs> you know? But it would be, it'd be kind of cool. You know, I'm sitting here as we speak looking at one of the, um, uh, you know, 4K um, uh, screen blankers on the Apple TV. 
and and it's this beautiful slow motion flight over what looks to be part of the Grand Canyon and the Colorado River below it. And it's yeah. gorgeous. It's just beautiful. But I don't know that I would want to buy a, a drone to be able to do that, you know. And I'm sure yeah. they had to get special license to go flying out over the canyon um, for this one. But I just I just look at that and I go, eh. You know, it's pretty. It really is. <laughs> I just, you know, I think about my life and what would I use it for, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at my age, I, I don't even, couldn't even get out to where I could really use a lot of these things effectively. Yeah. But they're, but they're just fascinating to me because of the kind of person I am, you know. If, if it was the right point in my life, I would have yeah. these one of these to flash. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I think about, well, what would my use case be? And it's like, well, you know, I coach swimming, but I was coaching water polo at one time. It might be cool to have one where I could fly it up over the water polo pool and get a direct down video of the tank so that then I could, you know, get a, a game video that we could then go over as a team and say, look, you're here. You need to be over there and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I've done similar things like that by taking a GoPro and sticking it on a tripod. That I've, and I've got an extended tripod that can go up 20 feet. And, you know, you stick it up 20 feet, that gives you pretty much the same thing. I mean, it's not exactly because you're off to one side, but it gives you a view of, the, you know, wide-angle lens that sees the whole pool, and you can see where everybody is. So I look at that and go, well, I've already got that, and that cost me a few hundred bucks. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I used, to I used to have a neighbor who was really into drones, mm -hmm. and he would come out and fly his in the neighborhood because there was right across the street from us a, a weedy field, a pasture, whatever you want to call it, that was... Uh -huh going to be part of our housing development, but they just hadn't built out that far. Right. And so at this time, he'd go out and fly his, his uh, drone out over that. Uh, was a helicopter type thing, you know, not, not a, maybe it wasn't a drone like an airplane, but. Well, most of the drones that people buy are quadcopters. They yeah, really, that's, that, you know. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But anyway, he, I went over after, after talking to him, he brought me back in his shop and showed me, he built his own. He had several of them on the wall and stuff. Yeah. Man, he was really into it, and uh, as well as cameras and stuff that he had. Serious hobbyist. But, but the problem is is that he didn't use it very much. Uh, most people have to, you know, get uh, uh, go out to an airport or someplace to be away from people because the noise can, can get your neighbors upset, you know? <laughs> yeah. Now, now, fortunately, it was a big enough field that he would kind of, other than launching it from his house, he would immediately fly it a, a ways, you know, a couple blocks away where it wasn't very noticeable from right. a sound standpoint. And he was good at controlling that sucker, making uh, some real interesting dives and loops and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've heard that, too. You know, it's like the people who fly those little RC planes, right? But everybody who gets into that hobby says, yeah, you just got to expect that you're going to crash pretty regularly initially. And that gets expensive too. It's like yeah. you're fixing your airplane or fixing your your quadcopter and replacing blades because you flew it into a tree or you know, right. And you just kind of go, well, live and learn. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know, you know, I, for me, I just don't have the internal drive to want to do that. You know, if 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 it was that intriguing to me, then I would go, you know, spend the money and get into it. I think it's very interesting. I actually bought a um, an RC controller for our for planes. And then an app that was called, um, uh, it, it basically was a um, uh, RC simulator. And 
you could pick which remote control plane you wanted to fly. They gave you choices. And, and you then plugged via USB the actual RC controller that you would be using to control the plane into the, into the uh, computer. And you could then fly the RC planes that way. And because I had a friend who was doing that and he said, oh, here's the way to train. And that way you don't crash your plane. You learn to fly by doing this. Yeah. And I played with that and found that to be enough for me. I was like, OK, I don't actually have to get the plane. <laughs> you know, I'm good. I bought the controller, which, you know, actually just ended up being a game controller for me, but a special type of game controller. But I have the controller, so I know how to use it. So I could then actually go out and fly a plane if I wanted to. But I found Flying the plane or the, the, the RC stuff on the screen was, was fun. And I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, simulation is really good anymore. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Yeah, in fact, thinking about that, I've still got the controller in the app somewhere. I should probably go look and see if I could uh, set it up because I have a bigger monitor now. I could really, you know, the, the simulation would be really good. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we've kind of covered uh, almost everything. The only thing we didn't cover doesn't matter because we're talking about matter and it's delayed again. Yeah. And the interesting thing is the place where I was reading about this were several other articles about how various companies interfaced with the matter. You know, that was a big deal because here's the standard and they wanted you to know it. And and they had had probably published their article just ahead of the one that says, oh, we're delaying this whole thing again. (laughs) Right. Well, the thing is, is it's like the standards for modems. For a while, you know, they were like 802.11a, then then B, then G, then, you know, uh, now they're 802.11x or whatever, right? It's, um, they, they don't have the standard complete, but that doesn't mean that people aren't already putting things out that are matter compliant that will then, you know, if there are any major, if there's any adjustments, they can fix it in firmware later at with an update. So if you buy um, devices that have thread radios in them, then you're going to be Matter compliant. So if you're, and, and for those of you who don't know, Matter is the standard that is being agreed upon by, you know, Apple and uh, and Adobe or not Adobe, Apple Google and, and, and Amazon. Google, Amazon is what I meant to say, not Adobe. Yeah, Google. Um, and it's a standard for home uh, home devices to communicate. So you won't have to, like, buy only the things that work with HomeKit or make sure that they say they work with, you know, the the uh, the smart assistant of your choice. You can just say, A, as long as it says it's Matter compatible, it'll work with any of them, which is fine. Uh, right. I have some devices that work with thread radios um i've got some eve home things some door sensors and window sensors so i know if a door or a window is left open um and uh and some um light bulbs from um uh leaf and the light bulbs are matter compliant and then my home pod mini is my matter or my matter my my thread uh edge uh, edge routers, what they call it. So that's what then connects the thread to the to the um, uh, TCP/IP network, the Wi-Fi network in my house, and um, and the matter stuff or the matter the the thread radio stuff I have found has been much less um, uh, of a hang-up in terms of connecting. They seem to have a very uh, very little um, uh, dropout or or because it, it creates a mesh network that that's self 
self-creating and self-mending. If a device drops out, they just talk to e each of the devices talk to each other independently, and so everything stays connected. They pass the message on. So even if I have something sitting, like I've got a door sensor in a storage shed outside my house, and it's yeah. inside, it's on the door inside of a metal shed, and yet it stays connected to the network with no problem with the thread. So if somebody opens up that shack, I know that there's somebody in there or that somebody got into it, you know. Um, and Any, anyway, for our listeners, that's, the matter was uh, kind of first uh, really exposed at CES in January uh, when uh, a lot of companies, uh, you know, uh, introduced their products as being matter compatible. Right, yeah. And so that, that gave everyone the expectation that this thing was coming and and that it would all be settled. And now, now uh, who knows what causes the delay, but it seems like uh, just about everything in the world this day has slowed down, if, if not stopped. <laughs> uh, yeah. But hopefully the, hopefully the uh, letters on Thursday said that they'll have it sometime this fall. Yeah. But uh, again, you can buy things that will be matter compliant when they finalize the standard, but they're, you know, they're already set up to handle matter right now. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you just have to do a little bit of reading, but soon that'll become less and less of an issue because Matter has their own little logo and the Matter logo will stick on stuff. And, right. you know, then, then, you know, it'll work with whatever you want to use. Anyway, um, the industry groups uh, ex are expects over 130 products with a new standard in 15 different device and sensor types. Yeah. And from about 50 different companies. So it's going to be industry supported. And so that's an important thing to know, and I thought that's why we should bring it up here today is just so that if people are contemplating any home automation devices that you you look for that label now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's I, I think the the name matter kind of I think it stinks because it it's it's confusing. Yeah, you know I I just I, I think matter that, matters. Yeah, <laughs> I just think it was a poor choice. But uh, well, but it, there's it, it, a lot of stuff it, out there that's going to it's 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 just clearly uh, take off from Black Lives Matter, which they, really? they use I, that term. I and then it, I don't think that thin. at all. I think it has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. I think it has to do with the well, matter well, the, in the, terms of physics. Well, I think it's the word, because then after that was used, a lot of people had complaints and said everything else matters, too. And pretty soon matter, matter, matter. I think they were just making fun of that, the people who are commenting. I think the the decision to do matter had to do with the, the matter as used in physics. <laughs> I don't think it well, has any political basis whatsoever in this. But No, not political. No, I'm just saying from a marketing standpoint, it became a term that was just becoming overused. And somebody said, well, we'll capitalize on it. Yeah. Okay. You know, by itself. Uh, that's all I'm saying. So anyway. Uh, shall we? Uh, I think that's kind of it. We went through everything here. So, um, although I'm looking at this, the list of things from CES that said they were going to be matter supported, and uh, I found two things interesting. The Eve people ha are releasing a uh, a camera that is um, an outdoor cam that is designed to work with HomeKit. So it uses HomeKit Secure Video, and it is matter-enabled, and uh, which I think is kind of interesting if you want to put a, a camera out. And it looks like it's completely wireless, so it will have like a uh, 
small uh, panel on top that will automatically charge the internal batteries. And so you can stick it out on your house somewhere and, and watch something. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting is HomeKit-enabled motion blinds. And there's a few of them that have been out there, but they've not been uh, thread compatible. And I like the idea of, like I said, the thread radio seems to be the right way to handle. Uh, motion, motion blind? Motion blinds. So blinds that come down, uh, roller blinds to, to like uh, close your windows if you want to block the sun or, or allow people to see in or out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I just think it's kind of nice to have some smart blinds. You can say, you know, hey, Shlomo open the blinds and it'll open up the windows and you say, Hey, Shlomo, close the blinds and it'll close the windows. Okay. So, um, you know, cause then you don't have to actually get up and move at all ever. I, I, I was, <laughs> I was complaining to, uh, that we didn't have the automated blinds the other day. We happened to be at your sister's house and she says, well, we had automated blinds, and we hated them, so we traded them in for regular blinds. Yeah, and I guess it didn't work a lot, you know. And that has to do that has to do with the radios in them. I think that the um, the ones that are going to the thread radios are much more reliable. At least that's been my experience. Is the thread radios um, seem to work really well? And so hmm. I have. You know, I, like I said, I've got several thread devices, and I have had some smart home stuff before. And once I saw how well the thread radio worked, and I started reading about it, I started switching over. So as I was, you know, replacing or or buying new stuff, I got things with the thread radios because the more you have, the better it works. Yeah. You know, because again, they all talk to each other and they pass the message on. So if you're, you've got things that are sitting on the edge of, like I have uh, through, gosh, who is it? I'm not sure if it's. I think it's Eve Home. They have a uh, a battery operated thread radio controlled water valve that you can hook onto your hose. And I've got a couple planters uh, around my house, including one with a big banana plant that I'm trying to grow, and you know that needs a lot of water. So and and there wasn't uh, any irrigation near it, so I got uh, a hose, hooked it to a spigot, and I used this thread controlled water thing, and it comes on for 30 seconds and you know floods the 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 area where it needs water, you know, every yeah. other day and keeps my banana plant watered. Well, anyway, it sounds like the perfect thing for a salesman because he can say, oh, it's not working. Well, you don't have enough of these things, so you got to spend some more money. Yeah, yeah. They, you need more <laughs> to talk to, more to talk to. I just shared you the link with the Eve uh, security camera and motion blinds, an article, so you can roll down and read about the, the blinds and see what at least one set of them look like. They probably have different colors and things, too. I'm, you know, this is just the one photo that they've got there. But, uh, huh. what's going on here? But, oh, I see. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, there it is. Nope, something else. Anyway, I'll get it later. Yeah. yeah. You, you sent an email or a message? Text. Oh, crap. I sent it to the wrong person. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say it should have been here by now. Yep. Sorry, not meant for you. All right. And then let me send it to you. All right. There we go. 
you know, as much stuff as I send to you on Monday mornings, you'd think that the Apple was smart system would would uh, know that and say, uh, well, why don't we just move that box over a little bit so I don't have to keep swiping to the side to find you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm sitting here at a Mac where I see the entire list of people who I've talked to recently and those that I've, you know, uh, thumbtacked up to the top. But um, in the course of the, the morning, I tend to get a variety of emails from a variety or texts, rather, from a variety of people. And so during the show, if they pop up, I either respond to them or at least glance and see whether it needs a quick response. And one yeah. of them today was from the lady who manages the buses at the school that I coach at. And she was asking, we're expecting rain here this morning. And she wanted to know if we were going to have practice because it was raining. To which I replied, we swim in the rain, not in the lightning. So, so long as, uh, you know, if it's drizzling, the kids are all wet anyway. They're in a swimming pool. What do they care? Um, you know, the coaches are the only ones who have to dress for the yeah. wet weather. Do you get lightning forecasts? Uh, sometimes, you know, it'll say thunder showers are expected, but today it's, it's just supposed to be drizzly rain. So, yeah, you know, if, if there's lightning issues, then we will certainly not be in a swimming pool, but, but, uh, otherwise, yeah. So, okay. Well, it's been good talking to you, Todd. Likewise. So have a great week and we'll be back next week. We hope that you enjoyed listening. And if you did check out our other shows, two for brew and two minute tech. They're also available at the Shack Outback Network at shackoutback.studio. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye-bye.